coming up. You know, when you think about, you know, what as a society and what as a criminal justice system people expect, one of the things they expect is that we do everything we can to protect people who can't protect themselves, and children are certainly at the top of that list. For Vault Studios, I'm Will Johnson. And I'm Reed Redmond. We'd like to welcome you to the show and our very first episode. We know you have a lot going on, but you also love true crime. That's where we come in. Monday through Friday, we're going to be taking you inside a new case every day. And we'll be joined by reporters from our stations around the country. So let's get into it. Reed has today's story. You're listening to The Daily Crime. In early 2013, Mark Redwine sat down for an interview in his home in the mountains of southwestern Colorado. I was going to take him to Bayfield to spend time with his friends. It had been 10 weeks since Mark last saw his son, 13-year-old Dylan Redwine, who came to visit him in November and then disappeared. He was texting on the couch. Shortly after that, I ran up and went to bed. And I get up to go run my errands because I had a payroll issue. I spent 45 minutes, an hour, trying to get Dylan to wake up. And, but he wouldn't have a no part of it. This interview, it's a picture of heartbreak. A father seemingly on the verge of tears, reliving the day of his son's disappearance, wearing a wristband that reads, Hope for Dylan Redwine. He wanted to go to Boston to see the Red Sox. And people thought I was crazy because I was willing to drive that far. Fast forward to today. This same man, this father, is now facing charges in the murder of his own son. A new trial date has been set for Mark Redwine, the man accused of killing his 13-year-old son, Dylan, in La Plata County in 2012. Joining me to help us sort out how we got to this point is Kevin Vaughn, an investigative reporter with Nine News in Denver, Colorado. Kevin, this case was scheduled to go to trial today. It's now postponed, but let's work our way up to all of that, starting with what happened all the way back in 2012, when 13-year-old Dylan Redwine goes missing up in the mountains in southwestern Colorado. What were the circumstances surrounding his disappearance? So this was about eight years ago. This was in November of 2012. Dylan Redwine was a 13-year-old boy. His parents had gone through a very contentious divorce and a very a very contentious battle over things like visitation and child support and those sorts of things. And so Dylan was court-ordered to spend some time with his father in southwestern Colorado in a town called Bayfield, which is near Durango, and uh, had actually flown from another part of the state where he had been at his mother's house, had flown down to southwestern Colorado uh, to visit his dad, arriving there, uh, I think, on the evening of uh, November 18th, 2012. They went to a Walmart, they went to a McDonald's, um, and then they headed back to the family's home, or to the, to the father's home, I should say, where uh, Dylan had some contact with his mother and some contact with a friend who he said, you know, who he, he arranged to meet the next morning they were going to get together. And um, those were the last contacts Dylan ever had with anybody. Uh, the next morning, he didn't show up at the friend's house. The friend began sending text messages asking, you know, where are you? Never got an answer. Ultimately, Dylan's father reported him missing that night. He told authorities that he'd gone out that morning to run some errands, and when he left, Dylan was in the house asleep, uh, sleeping on a couch. When he got back uh, later that morning, Dylan and his belongings were gone. 
So as far as we know, the last person to see Dylan before he goes missing is his father, Mark Redwine, who tells police that he saw him at 7.30 a.m. that day when, as you mentioned, he drove off to go run some errands. And just to clarify things a little bit, Mark Redwine lived alone, so there wouldn't have been any other family members or anything like that around that morning, right? That's correct. And Mark Redwine and Dylan had had conflict on previous visits, according to you know court documents we have now. And um, Dylan had actually asked if he could, instead of staying with his father at his home, if he could go stay at this friend's house. Uh, according to the you know the allegations outlined in the criminal case, uh, Mark Redwine would not allow him to do that and told him he had to stay there. Um, and so um, Mark Redwine by his own admission is that he saw him the morning of, uh, what I guess that was November 19th. The last time he's known to have been seen before that is on some security footage captured as they were, you know, traveling around uh, after he got down there to southwestern Colorado. And looking back through some of the Nine News coverage from 2012, it seems like the search for Dylan pretty quickly became a, a big story in Colorado. It absolutely did. This is one. Of, this was one of those cases that um, you know involving a child that um, got a lot of attention from news media in the state. Dylan Redwine. His face and name are everywhere in the southwestern corner of Colorado, but the boy himself is seemingly nowhere. The 13-year-old vanished in November 2012 while he was on a court-ordered visit to his father in southwestern Colorado. When the 13-year-old boy disappeared, launching search after search and national concern for the whereabouts of the missing teen. Even though it happened in a fairly remote area, you know, far away from the front range where where the big cities of Denver and Colorado Springs and Fort Collins and Pueblo are located, um, it did get a lot of attention and has continued to get a lot of attention all of these years since. It's pretty quickly after Dylan goes missing, at least within the first few weeks or so, that his mom comes out and, and she's not mincing her words. She says that she thinks her husband, Mark Redwine, had something to do with their son's disappearance. Meanwhile, Mark is defending himself, saying that he just wants to find his son. And during this time frame, Nine News is conducting interviews with both parents, the mother, Elaine, her name's now Elaine Hall, and Mark Redwine. The fact that Mark lost Dylan, that makes me very mad. Being a mom, I can only imagine that her focus is trying to find somebody to blame. And it's easier for her to blame me than it is anybody else. I just don't think he's taken the necessary steps, steps to clear himself. Absolutely not. I would never do anything to harm that boy. I know they're looking at me as being involved in some kind of kidnapping scheme, which is one of the reasons why I want them to look closely at me. Because the more that they look at me, the more they're going to realize that I have nothing to do with this. So, Kevin, I know your reporting on this case comes in a little later, and we'll get there in a second. But looking back at these interviews in the early days of this search, it's remarkable to hear you know one parent very candidly raising suspicions about the other. That's right. I mean, Dylan's mother had said at that time that she had been threatened by her ex-husband, that he had threatened at one point to um, to harm the children if, if they couldn't be with him. You know, those were allegations she made publicly very early on. And of course, uh, Mark Redwine, you know, defended himself and, and argued that he was being sort of made the scapegoat by by his ex-wife. And, you know, as I noted earlier, the two of them had had a contentious divorce and a contentious battle over, you know, the things that go on when when 
couples split, you know, child support and visitation and those kinds of things. The search for Dylan Redwine starts to drag on for weeks, eventually months. Where does this story go from here? What's the next big discovery or piece of evidence that comes into the picture? Well, that was in June 2013 when some of Dylan's remains were found um, about eight miles from Mark Redwine's home in a wilderness area. And that really sort of jump-started this as a homicide investigation. Um, I don't think there were a lot of detectives that probably thought Dylan was alive before this, but at that point they finally knew once and for all that he had been, he had, you know, been killed. And um, that started a lot of investigative work. They, they did multiple searches of Mark Redwine's home with a cadaver dog, for example, and his automobile and even his things like his clothing. Um, there were searches of his home that discovered Dylan's blood in there. And um, ultimately, a couple of years later, in November of 2015, uh, Dylan's skull was found about a mile and a half from where his other remains were discovered. And, uh, you know, forensic pathologists that examined that skull concluded that he died of blunt force trauma, uh, that he was you know, killed by someone else, that this wasn't an accident or a wild animal or something like that. And, um, you know, at that point, the investigation was already three years old and um, hadn't been in arrest yet, hadn't been charges filed against anybody yet. Just a, lo- a long, long process for people wanting to know where this was ultimately going to go. Yeah. And as you mentioned, there were still those questions floating around about Mark Redwine, even though up to this point he hadn't been named, at least named publicly as a suspect or a person of interest. But there's one comment in particular that has raised a lot, a lot of questions where before the skull was found, and this is an account from Dylan's half-brother that's laid out in court documents, Mark, according to those documents, mentioned to Dylan's half-brother, quote, blunt force trauma several times and discussed how investigators would have to find the rest of the body, including the skull, before they could determine the cause of death, end quote. So the reason, of course, this raised so many questions is that when the skull was eventually found, as you mentioned, it showed signs of blunt force trauma. Yeah, those same, those same court documents also s- sort of suggest that, that Mark Redwine had been up in the area where Dylan's remains were found, you know, in the months before the discovery and, and even suggest perhaps that the skull had been moved uh, and that it, that would explain why it was a mile and a half away. There were wildlife experts that, that uh, you know, offered the opinion that it wasn't as though an animal carried off his skull, mm. you know, suggesting that it was moved by somebody intentionally. You know, that statement is certainly uh, the kind of thing that investigators latch on to, right? Um, when somebody offers a, a theory about something and then later on evidence arises that uh, suggests that theory might be true, it's definitely an eyebrow raiser and, um, you know, the kind of thing that um, I'm sure just cemented in detectives' mind what they had all been thinking for a while, which was that Mark Redwine was their suspect. Yeah, and jumping ahead then another couple years, tell me about the story that you then broke in 2017. Yeah, I I had been looking into, um, you know, a lot of cold cases, and this was one of them case was, you know, four and a half years old at that point. And um, Mark Redwine was arrested in Bellingham, Washington. Just keep your hands up, buddy. Just keep your hands up. After a grand jury returned an indictment against him, accusing him of, you know, second degree murder and 
child abuse uh, causing death. You guys can, you'll explain to me what's going on? Yes, sir. Is your name Mark? He was arrested up there. Um, he was ultimately extradited to, Col to Colorado. Um, it was interesting that when he was arrested and, and when police, you know, started to tell him that there was a warrant out for his arrest, he, he told them that he had no idea what they were talking about. He didn't have any idea what this issue was, why anybody would want to, to pick him up. Are you Mark? Yes, sir. Okay. I'm the sergeant. Did you say you, uh, you asked to speak with me? Well, I was asking a few questions. First of all, I'm trying to understand what exactly is going on. Okay. Um, before we get going here, I do got to let you know I am equipped with the body-worn camera. It records both audio and video. Okay. Uh, have you been read your Miranda rights yet? No, I have not. Okay. Let me make sure I get those read to you so that uh, I'm trying to answer all the questions you have. Um, but because you're in handcuffs and because you're in the back of a police car, I do want you to know what your uh, what your rights are too. Okay, uh, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can be used against you in a court of law. They did arrest him, and he's been behind bars ever since, awaiting trial. Basically, for for what now three three and a half years now, I guess. Mark Redwine was scheduled to stand trial this past November, but a mistrial was declared after someone on the defense team developed COVID nineteen symptoms. That's something we've seen uh, a lot with cases in the past year, COVID-19, getting in the way somehow. A new trial was then scheduled to begin today, the day of this episode's release, uh, but that was also postponed earlier this month. Kevin, whenever this goes to trial, I imagine a lot of folks in Colorado are going to be keeping a really close eye on what happens, given that this has been such a high-profile case and people rightfully want answers as to what happened to this 13-year-old boy. Absolutely, and I think it's worth noting this trial has been delayed eight times so far. It was originally scheduled wow. in November of 2018, rescheduled one, two, three times in 2019, four times in 2020. And of course, now we've got a, the, the next effort scheduled in 2021. I think definitely people are going to be paying attention to this. You know, when you think about, you know, what as a society and what as a criminal justice system people expect, one of the things they expect is that is that we do everything we can to protect people who can't protect themselves. And children are certainly at the top of that list. And, you know, Dylan was a 13-year-old boy um, that um, had his life ended. And um, I think people want answers and want justice for that. And we'll certainly continue to keep an eye on it as it plays out. Kevin Vaughn, investigative reporter with Nine News in Denver. Thanks for sharing the story. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Daily Crime. As the name suggests, we're daily. We're going to be here every day, Monday through Friday, with a new crime story. The best way to make sure you don't miss tomorrow's episode is by hitting subscribe or follow wherever you're listening to today's. And if you liked it, don't be shy about it. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts to help others find us. And be sure to share the daily crime with that friend of yours who won't stop texting you about true crime podcasts. Until next time, for Volt Studios, I'm Reed Redmond.